Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And with me, as always, is my colleague, my comrade at arms, my compatriot, (laughs) Ronnie Kurtz, assistant director of marketing, managing editor of For the Church. He's just accumulating titles left and right. So, yeah, yeah, it's just a snowball. Your career is snowballing. Um, And we're going to add to that. Yes. Published author. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, because uh, you, I, we, I, I can't remember if we if we talked about one of these in the past, but you got two book deals in the works, man. Yeah, slow down, <laughs> rock star. We need you to come back down to earth. Wow, be among the common yeah, folk. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep up with your literary output. You know, <laughs> that's right. Well, you need about 18 more books to go. Hey, I'm, but two is a good start. Yeah. I didn't have two, a two book, you know, two books in the works when I started. I had one little thing and. So look at that. You're, you already start with a bang. Tell us about the book uh, coming out with uh, Brahman and Holman, coming out with B&H. Yeah. I, I saw you just announced that recently. Yeah, thanks for asking about it. Yeah, it's a uh, just signed the contract. Uh, the time it's recording, signed last week. Um, so it's a book. The, the title is Fruitful Theology. Okay. And then the subtitle is How the Life of the Mind can lead to the fruit of the spirit. Mm. And honestly, it's in its most simple form. It's, it's a trade level book written for, you know, lay leaders, what have you. And I'm really just trying to write on how you can do theology and uh, be happy about it, not be angry and divisive <laughs> and actually do theology in such a way that leads to things like gentleness and mm. kindness and joy and patience and self-control. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think, unfortunately, what we see a lot in our day is theology being used as a weapon. And obviously I can't change that with the book, but this is just a counter cultural voice saying maybe theology should be a well of joy and not as much of a weapon. Maybe so. Yeah. I, I heard John Piper <laughs> once say on a on a panel discussion, you know how um, well this is another thing he said. He said uh, books don't change people, yeah, sentences, sentences do. Yeah. Well, it's it's so true. And applying to that was something that he said in a panel conversation that just kind of latched him into my brain because it was a great sentence. He said, theology exists to throw logs into the furnace of our affections for Christ. Yeah, amen. That's great. It was such a great line. That's great. It's like, like theological pursuit is all about stoking the affections for Jesus. So I'm excited about that. that yeah, that's going to come out probably next year. Yeah, so okay. uh, right now the tentative, the tentative uh, public, t- published day is J- July 19th. So okay, hopefully so uh, next summer. So we'll we'll have a, an episode where we get to talk to you about that. Yeah, um, closer to and um, yeah, we'll kind of hash out some of the ins and outs of the book. But I'm excited for you. Yeah, thanks, and brother. It actually I think ties into today's subject. Okay, this is not the worst segue I've ever made. <laughs> that would be hard to beat at this I mean, point. It would be hard to beat <laughs> the. Bar, I keep setting the bar lower and lower. Um, but fruitful theology is a good. On ramp to talking about revival. All right, I think. Okay, what does revival look like? So yeah. let me just set this up. These are some things. You know, obviously, in 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 every season of church life, there are people who will say we we need revival. We 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 definitely need revival. We look back to the historic revivals in church history. We want to recapture something that occurred then, and. What we typically do is try to look and see, um, you know, what what can we apply today to get what they had then? Is there a prescription? I think we maybe we could talk about that for a little bit. But um, I was on a, uh, another, um, I was on a panel of my own a, uh, a few months ago at a speaking engagement, 
And someone was asking me about the gospel-centered movement, the reformed resurgence or, you know, you know all, whatever you want to call it, the gospel-y thing, <laughs> the rise of the tribe, um, so to speak. <clears throat> and, um, you know, in the early days of that and actually as it began to pick up steam, a lot of us were asking, is this revival? Is this what mm. revival looks like? Because you've got a recovery of expository preaching and you have a recovery of a, of a big view of God, which historically seems to coincide mm-hmm. with a lot of great moves of, of the Spirit, is this casting of a, of, of a glorious vision of God, a very big God. Um, you know, so you, you've got that. And then you have this, uh, you know, uh, church planting and, and, and kind of, you know, the missional movement that's kind of come out of that. So, man, it really looks like this could, this could be revival of some kind. And you're beginning to see people from all different tribes kind of coalesce around the gospel. And, um, and then it just didn't seem to do that. It just seemed to sort of, you know, coalesce and then fracture and splinter out mm. into all these different subgroups. And so someone asked me a question about that, and I was just sort of describing and kind of lamenting the kind of, you know, the balkanization of, of, of the movement and evangelicalism in general. And uh, one of the other guys, this isn't, this isn't my thought, one of the other guys on, on the panel said, you know, that that movement, it had everything, um, you know, that you're describing, yes, but, but one thing that I, that I don't remember it, you know, being very pronounced that is very pronounced in historic revivals, and that's prayer. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a major emphasis on being a praying people. And so that just got the wheels turning for me in terms of if we were to see revival, Ronnie Kurtz, what, <laughs> what, would, what would revival look like? If, if revival was to hit Emmaus Church this yeah. Sunday. Huh. Um, so be it. Because some people <laughs> would say you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice. It doesn't, it doesn't always look like what we think it looks like. And, and so we can talk about that as well. But what would revival look like mm. at your church on Sunday? Man, that's a good question. Um, I think we should start by saying, to be honest, I don't really know. Okay. <laughs> well, my first point is humility. Maybe that's the first thing. We, are like, on we our don't way need to revival here. Right. We don't even know. <laughs> that's a humble, humble perspective. I don't know what revival is. Okay. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I think trying to stage revival is a real quick route to disappointment. And so I, I do think there is a sense in which ignorance and the the positive side of ignorance, humility, does play a role here. But if you do look at, you know, historic revivals, whether or not you think it's wise to try to, you know, recapitulate what they did and, and those kinds of things, there were at least some consistent elements. And I do think prayer is a massive one. Uh, there's a reason. And not only in historic revivals, but in biblical revivals. I mean, think about yeah. think about the book of Acts, for example. We have a retired... New Testament professor who used to work here at Midwestern Seminary named Alan Tomlinson, who, while working through the book of Acts, pointed out this rhythm of you seemed to have, it, it's always a debate on where this starts, but he, like a good Baptist, alliterated using the letter P. There was some kind of preaching that took place, which led to persecution, mm-hmm. which led to the people who have been persecuted praying, and that prayer leading to a demonstration of God's power. Mm-hmm. And that, that rhythm kind of shows up in the book of Acts three or four times. This mighty, bold prayer leads to God showing off his power in which the people are preaching and uh, revival starts to happen. Uh, but it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly this is revival. I do think today, this, this might be, you might disagree with this, I'm not sure, but I do think today revival is going to be tied to virtues in a way that it might not have been in Jonathan Edwards' day, for example. Okay. Meaning 
I think to be countercultural the way that revivalists and revivals have been, it's going to take kindness, love, level-headedness, things that you're just not seeing. I do not think revival is going to happen by shouting. Okay. Uh, I think revival is going to happen by folks seeing, hey, there is something about those Christians who are not losing their minds when the whole world seems to be losing its mind. Yeah. Uh, so that, that might be unique to a modern-day revival. But I would love to hear what you, what you think about that. Well, I, I agree with you, on, uh, especially on, on the first thing that you were talking about in terms of, you know, can we orchestrate this thing, right? So we're kind of looking at, we're staring down the, the barrel in, uh, of recent history of what's really a piece of sort of, um, you know, a second great awakening theology of revival, you know, Finneyism, mm-hmm. where, oh, we know what to do to get revival. <laughs> you know, you just do <laughs> X, Y, and Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, revival is just the, the, the you know, the you know product of pushing the right buttons. Yeah. And um, and I thought of this in the last few weeks because I heard of a, um, uh, a a particular association in our convention that was um, highlighting the need for revival and instructing pastors to conduct revival services. Uh, I, I assume in particular ways. I don't remember if there was particular like you got to do it this certain way, but essentially hold revival services. And um, if 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 you don't do this, basically you're you're quenching the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you know, there's kind of a coercive. Hmm. Um, so I grew up in a culture where, I, you know, I don't think we had a revival service every year. I don't, I don't remember having one every year, but every now and again, it was, you know, it was, you know, it was part of the church, you know, calendar, I guess. Um, yeah, we, we scheduled revival. And today, almost nothing sounds as laughable to me as the idea that you, would ske- you can schedule revival. You know, we, we put it in the newspaper. Hey, revival's coming in, 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 in a month. We got a tent. Sent a calendar invite That's to the right. Holy Spirit. It can't happen inside the building. It's got to be outdoors. So we got a tent. Um, it can't be our normal preacher. He is not, no. not anointed enough. That's right. We have to hire someone from the outside to come in. Um, and I, you know, I, I I speak in, so I'm not trying to like make fun of yeah, yeah, yeah. you know people, but just the whole idea that this is what you do mm-hmm. to get this result, right? Um, obviously, I think it's okay to invite people to come speak at your church. Otherwise, I wouldn't speak in other churches <laughs> all the time. But the idea is like you got to do this, you got to do this, got to this, and this is how you get revival. So we scheduled you know revival um, every other year, however long it, you know however often it was. Um, consequently, we never had a revival. Man, it 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 never actually happened. Um, and so the idea that you could, you know, put it on the calendar and the Lord looked down and go, oh, thank goodness. This is, you know, they, <laughs> I, I forgot it had to be, you know, uh, I'll make sure the Holy Spirit's on that. No, it just, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's things that we can look back and see. This is what the Lord used. Therefore, uh, we should be about those, the, you know, about those means. But that doesn't mean that we are guaranteeing an end. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's just the normative That's exactly right. means of, of ministry. You know, it's faithful preaching of the yep. gospel and yep. uh, um And that's you know, kind of what's extraordinary yeah. when you read about those historical accounts. What's extraordinary is how ordinary they were. Well, and, and, and why someone like Edwards would describe it as surprising. Yes. That's that's, exactly, this that's is right. a surprising movie. Have you ever read yeah. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? <laughs> I mean, how did that thing <laughs> kick off revival? Well, I, I, well, you know what? Didn't, didn't, you know, we learned um, up there at the, uh, is it 
Benicky, the Benicky Center at Yale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Um, I didn't know this until the um, you know fellow there was lecturing, saying that it was a uh, when he preached that sermon at his home church, there wasn't much. That's right. Response. He was a guest preacher, so there maybe there's something to the guest preaching thing that wow. They, someone had Edwards come in and and he preached at a different church, at, not not his home church, and there was pronounced effect. No, um, <laughs> I I think there's something to the normative use, and and there's a reason why. You know, even in Acts where they say all came upon every soul, all fell down. There wasn't something that you could orchestrate, summon. The Holy Spirit is like the wind; it comes and goes as as he please, you know, as he pleases. And um, you know, there's not anything that you can kind of stir up. Nevertheless, if we want to kind of raise the sail for such a thing, I think the the, the normative means is is, uh, is you know, or the means of revival is the normative means of ministry, is it not? I mean, it's just preaching the gospel. Uh, being faithful to the scriptures, uh, evangelism, and so on and so forth, um, but how it might look. So I think that's where I kind of want to camp out because I think hmm. you're onto something in terms of what it might look today. Um, but I don't want to be resistant to how it might have looked in the past, uh, particularly when you have Edwards talking about certain, um, you know, things that may look like um, extravagant, um, you know, excesses of the of of uh, of worship or something like that. Um, I, I wonder if we quench the spirit uh, when we say things like, you know, spirit, you know, move among us, but not like that. Hmm. I, I, you know, I don't want it to to look a certain way. It needs to be very respectable, and um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to put revival in a box, but I do think there are things that might be particular about today, and one of those, I think, as you mentioned, is a self-evaluation that a lot of evangelicals, and I know I'm broad brushing here, but a lot of evangelicals just don't seem capable of right now because we're so busy kind of pointing out yeah, exactly what's right. going wrong. So so a repentance always comes with revival, people confessing their own sin and having it, you know, in, in humility, repenting um, of their sin. Um, I, I, I just don't see repentance mm. as a very widespread. We call other people's repentance. But in terms of our own kind of repenting, it doesn't seem like a very prominent virtue. That's exactly right. Yeah, and even the idea of, I mean, how countercultural would it be to look at any cultural context right now? Pick your conversation that we're fighting over and just not overly self-analytical to where you're doing harm to your own image of God, but what if your first move— is assuming that you might be the problem and that you might be wrong. Mm. Uh, that that is, is not happening. Yeah. And uh, assuming that the responsibility of repentance is in your court or your tribe or your team or you individually, I do think that's exactly right, Jared, what you said. And it goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about of like a countercultural virtues to where um, – yeah, it just feels like unlike Edwards Day, I keep going back to Edwards for the revivalist example, but unlike Edwards Day, it's almost going to look like kindness and gentleness yeah. lead the way. It feels like to me at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, sort of a a, um, a reflection of Christ, right? Yes, I that's mean, right, yeah. So I wonder, and this is just rabbit trail, it's not in the notes, but that idea – sort of connects to me with this recent debate, and it's not really recent. Um, I did a blog post on this probably about a year ago, but recently there was a fellow on Twitter who said something about, 
you know, if your favorite Jesus is the table flipping Jesus, yeah, you know, us, yeah. Uh, and everyone freaked out, and you know, of course, you know, said so. Everyone should be not, you know, we can't even read tweets anymore. This is what, 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 what drives me nuts. Um, saying, you know, ascribing things to him that he didn't say and assuming meanings. Um, I agree with him, or at least what I understand him to mean, which is to say, if your favorite thing about Jesus is that one time, maybe twice, that he flipped tables over in the in in the temple. Um, to the exclusion of all these other, th- you know, the, the, you know, the dominant mode of of, of Christ in his ministry, um, then then you're out of whack. It doesn't mean that Christ, you know, Christians always have to be nice, and we we don't have, you know, we don't say harsh things ever or anything like that. But if that's what you're um, exaggerate or that's what you're prioritizing, you know, um, yeah, you've you, you've you've lost it. And so to look at Christ and to think a Christ-like church would be a picture of, gosh, the Holy Spirit actually moving among us. Yeah. Does it look like, you know, attacking people with whips? <laughs> or does it look like um, preaching forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. and, and, and healing and comforting and, and, it's not uh, that and we... drawing all men to himself? Exactly, you know? yes. And it's not that we can't learn from descriptive articulations of Jesus. Of course we can. But the flipping of tables is descriptive, whereas the Sermon on the Mount is prescriptive. Yes, yeah. And, well, gonna... and descriptive of something. I mean, he owned that place. Yes, I yeah. mean, th- th- there's a specific reason he did that. It mm-hmm. wasn't just like, hey, everybody, let me show you how you can be angry sometimes. <laughs> no, there's a you know, specific reason he was doing that. So, you know, I don't want to get you know, too far afield on, on, on that subject. But th- that exaggeration, I think, reveals more about the, the person and the personality than it does about um, you know what the scripture actually says mm-hmm. in in that regard, but I think you're exactly right. You know, um, we'll we'll trade in the clear prescriptions <laughs> of how we're to speak and act for these descriptions that really appeal to us <laughs> because we think we're the next Martin Luther or, or, and this or something is, like look, that. This is you can tease me because I you 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 often tease me about being a member of the Get Along Gang, but yeah. I mean there is something to say about the uh, the success of a show like Ted Lasso. Okay, or okay. a movie like Mr. Rogers, you know, okay. um, I think our world, and I mean, it's the reason I'm writing this book that we just talked yeah. about is our world is hungry for someone to be kind. Mm. And I do think that's going to catch the eye. If you want to be countercultural, be level-headed, self-deferential and kind. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, what is revival, but a move of the Holy Spirit, a pronounced move, maybe you would say a um, extravagant move of a fresh Move of the Holy Spirit, not that the you know the Spirit is absent from us at any time or anything like that, but there seems to be an outpouring of the Spirit, a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What would look like a move of the Spirit more than a pronounced effect of the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, amen! Right, kindness, That's exactly goodness, what I'm trying to faithfulness, say. Faithfulness, yes, peace, patience, self-control. That's it. Um, yeah, for sure. So I, I, you're definitely onto something. Maybe maybe there's something on revival we it. related Wrap this to, thing the fruit, up. <laughs> to the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> but why then? Let's circle back to prayer. Why then is prayer so essential? Mm. Um, Prior to seeing revival, and then as a, even a fruit of revival, I think revival creates a prayerful people. Why prayer? Yeah, man, that's such a good question. Why not just this preach is the a, lights out? This is a fun conversation. I think prayer. Uh, I mean, you've written a book on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I think this is this is so important because a lot of how evangelicals think about the Holy Spirit, it really does feel more like a force than a person. Yeah, and we forget that if the Holy Spirit is a person, and indeed the Holy Spirit is a person, 
a person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity, we can have waxing and waning relationships with persons, right? You might Mm -hmm. be utterly united to Christ such that that union will never dissolve, but your communion with Christ waxes and wanes all the time. Right. And I do think prayer is one vehicle in which proximity to the Holy Spirit is accessed. We access proximity to the Holy Spirit by praying. And when we are close to the Holy Spirit, we tend to be more sensitive to urges to evangelize. We tend to be more sensitive to our own sinfulness. We tend to be more sensitive to normative spiritual disciplines. And those seem to be fruitful ingredients for revival. And so I think that might be one explanation why prayer is always tightly knit with revival. Yeah, I mean, and 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 what is prayer but an acknowledgement um, that he's God and we are not? I mean, we pray because there's stuff he has we don't, <laughs> whether it's power or wisdom or you know knowledge of some kind, um, comfort. Yeah, there's things that he has and things that he is that we are not and things that we don't have. That's why we pray. So prayer is our way of essentially, you know, handing the blank check over to God or waving the white flag or, you know, however you want to think of it. It's an, it's an expressed helplessness. Therefore, it's, it's the, you know, it can be a means by which the Holy Spirit can bring strength in our weakness. His strength is perfected. So I think that's an aspect of why. So the more that we pray, um, perhaps – you know, the more the Holy Spirit is is uh, um, uh, manifested in in our weakness, and that could be a precipitating mm-hmm. again, not a guarantee. It's not there's no there's no pragmatism to this, um, but I think that may be one reason why earnest prayer has preceded and is a fruit of revival. I think Edwards is really instructive here for um, a variety of reasons too, because as as, as things were happening at Northampton and beyond. He's asking questions like, how would we even know this is from God? Yep. What does revival really look like? And it's fascinating because I think some of the things that he says could come with revival or may not are things that we typically say that's automatically what revival looks like. Um, the swelling number of people in your church. Edward says, ah, not so fast. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that could be a good thing. He doesn't say it's a bad thing. But, you know, he's got those sort of the, the neutral, you know, I, I forget exactly what he calls them, but I think it's like, you know, marks of neutrality where he talks about, you know, swelling number of decisions and and even um, spiritual feelings that you would have kind of renewed enthusiasms and things like that. Those could come with revival, but they may not. So then what does it look like? Well, he's describing things like uh, renewed interest in theology, um, discernible uh, repentance among the people, so a confession of sin, open confession of sin, and um, you know people, um, you know taking up their crosses, uh, love of neighbor, <laughs> a renewed um, zeal to love neighbor. I mean, th- you know, some things that seem to be, um, I don't gotta say in short supply because I don't want to be the church's accuser, but they're things that just aren't emphasized mm-hmm. by a lot of leading evangelicals, or we're not exactly known for. Um, and I want to be careful there too, because um, it's not as if the world has a has, has perfect calibration on what the church is or you know shouldn't you know um, or, or isn't. Um, in fact, when we you know for instance uh, you know uphold the biblical categories on sexuality and gender and that sort of thing, we're accused of being unloving. Mm-hmm. So that would be a wrong way to say, oh, the church you know the world thinks we're unloving and and so we need to somehow capitulate. So they're not always correct, and yet I think. You know, a, an honest appraisal would say that we're we're a little um, off the mark 
when it comes to our reputation among outsiders. That's right. And maybe sort of looking back historically at what revival was and what it looked like could help us today. And, you know, we pray that the Lord would would move as he did before, right? We, we, we've heard of your fame, O oh yeah. Lord. We've heard of your deeds. In our time, we ask that you would renew them and, mm. and make them known. What a great prayer we could pray for today. Uh, we hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. This is a great um, subject for discussion, and maybe we'll do some future episodes on it um, as well. Um, like you, we, we continue to pray that the, the Holy Spirit would not just continue sustaining us. We know that he will but that there w- would be a great move of the Holy Spirit in, in our local churches. And it's one reason I think, um, you know, that I like to go to church because I never know. <laughs> I don't want to be I don't want to be gone the Sunday That's something right. happens. Yeah. You know, all comes down. And where was Jared? I, I just didn't feel like it that morning. I missed out on the great move of God. So go to church this Sunday, folks, because you never know when the Holy Spirit might show up. If you like the podcast, please recommend us to your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.